thank you very much. Astronauts and uh, strange people doing strange things. Eating fluids from the air. It's always very nice. How did I get there? How did it start? What was my inspiration to become an astronaut? Well, it didn't start like this. Let's see if it works, yes. I always got six, six in this merry-go-round, so this is not the real start of my astronaut career. Um, it started like this. I got science fiction books from my grandmother, Thunderbirds on television, Cars on the Moon. Great. Then you have to wait. And actually, this was a picture that inspired me very much. I thought, this is what I want to do. I want to eat my M&Ms from the air while looking at the Earth. You just don't buy a ticket. So I had to wait for advertisement in a newspaper. Here in Dutch, but it was over Europe. New astronauts were wanted. You try, you apply, you think, well, probably doesn't work, but a lot of tests and a lot of years, actually. And finally, you are selected. You're an astronaut. Then you have to train for many years. Three, four years, you prepare in the United States, in Russia, in Canada, in Germany, in uh, in Japan, learning all these things. And it's teamwork. You work together with your Russian colleagues to dock European spacecraft to an international space station. A lot of teamwork. You have to learn how to fly. I'm a medical doctor by profession, but you have to learn how to fly a, a Russian spacecraft. You have to learn how your spacesuit works. A lot of training on all these different aspects. It, it's, if you become an astronaut, it means years and years of preparation everywhere. Even with a big final exam. And not the formality, there are crews that fail these exams. In the meantime, your rocket is being assembled. And then it's, when it's ready, it's going to the launch pad. It's erected on the same place as the launch pad. It's the same launch pad as Yuri Gagarin's. You have some press conferences. You test your spacesuit to see if it's all ready. You say goodbye to everybody. Go up to your rocket. And there you sit, waiting for your launch. I waited 33 years for that. Why did I do it? Well, it was adventure. It was a boy's dream. It was the beauty. I saw these IMAX movies, beautiful pictures from the space shuttle, and I saw that it was very useful, that we use spaceflight for the benefit of humankind, for all the things that we do up there, for, for the planet itself. But at that moment, everything is focused, and finally, you can launch. Three, two, one. Liftoff, liftoff of the Soyuz 29 spacecraft that is taking Don Pettit, Oleg Kononenko, and Andrei Kuypers into the International Space Station. You launch it to orbit. You don't go straight up because then you fall straight down. So you go in orbit, you fall around the Earth with eight kilometers per second. You get sick. The first days you don't feel good. You get motion sick. You get back, back pain because you, you get taller in space. You, get, you have a fluid shift, so you get a full head. So the first days you think, oh, well, why did I do this? But your body adapts, and after a while you feel great. You go to your home, the International Space Station. Inside, looks like this. A lot of technology, no nature. That's what, what you're going to miss, actually. You don't have birds and plants anymore. It's all, it's, this is your interior. There's no up and down. So you can fly over the wall, you can fly over the ceiling. So if you get used to this spacey environment, 
technology is actually very old. Before it goes to space, it's probably 10 years old because you don't want all the you want all the bugs out before you send it up. And so you get an impression of how it looks inside. Interesting world full of technology and science. And of course, you have to get used to well the weightless conditions. It's very strange if you come in somewhere, your colleagues are on the ceiling. <laughs> they think, where am I? Where are my colleagues? They have to get used to that. You have to get used that everything floats. For example, I will, I will talk over it because it's in Dutch, but everything floats, so it's very hard to control small objects. You have to be very careful with that. So you can lose a little data card or a little cable. So it's also fun, of course. This is how you can eat it. So microgravity is nice, but it's also, well, not, well, you have to get used to it. Also for sleeping, for example. What is sleeping normally? It's a mattress, a pillow, you take a blanket. Impossible in space. You float away from your mattress, your pillow floats away. Doesn't matter where you sleep, there's no up and down. You can sleep on the ceiling as well. So four people sleep upright, one in the ceiling, one in the floor. And then, of course, we do there our experiments. A lot of science, a lot of uh, technical experiments, scientific experiments. Also, a lot of education. We had a lot of contact with schools all over the world to show what fluids are doing in microgravity conditions, uh, how plants are growing, foam, etc. And of course, we don't do that alone. Astronauts are standing on the shoulders, on the shoulders of giants. We have a lot of contact with our colleagues on the ground. The real bosses are in mission control. They determine what we do, what repair we do, uh, what experiment. Besides all the experiments, repairs, maintenance, we also have operational tasks, docking spacecraft, here a European spacecraft, but we also docked, for example, the Dragon, the first, uh, the first uh, spacecraft from SpaceX. Very nice to see all this new technology coming up, working with robotic arms. But the very nice thing to do is looking outside. We have a lot of windows on the floor of the station here in the Russian segment. Beautiful to see your spacecraft and the Earth in the background. And also the cupola. That's the most, well, the nicest place to be. But of course from there you can nicely watch our planet. It's very nice to see the, the moon coming up. We had a comet during our flight. Sun coming up, you see Mars, you see Venus. You feel that you're part of something much bigger, that you're part of the universe. I call it a cosmic feeling. And then, of course, the planet itself. It's fantastic to see this blue planet, very thin atmosphere. You have the feeling that if you blow very hard, that you blow off the whole atmosphere. You're around the planet in one and a half hours. You feel claustrophobic, not for yourself, but for the planet. I think this is it. It's everything. And you can go nowhere. The universe is very hostile. It's empty. There's uh, a lot of radiation. Uh, it's very cold. It's not a place to really live. Also, on the planet, it's not very nice. This is the only place we have. It's a beautiful planet. It's beautiful colors. Here are the Bahamas. Florida on top. Cuba on the left. You see mountains. Here we have Tibet. India on the foreground. Nepal. And here in Europe, we see Italy on the left, France on the right, Spain on, the, on top, with the Alps there. But you also see negative effects of humans. 
deforestation here in the Amazon. Or for example, air pollution. This is Beijing, and this as well. So you can see with your naked eye, you can see a lot of negative effects of humans on the planet. With satellites, you can see it much better, of course, but you can see it with the naked eye. So it's fantastic to look outside. The technology is beautiful. This is time-lapse, of course. You see the solar panels moving, following the sun to gather energy. Radiators, computers, cameras, all this different equipment that we have out there. Fantastic to see. And of course, half the time, you are on the night side. 45 minutes in the dark, 45 minutes in the light. And if your eyes are adapted, it's beautiful to see the night sky, to see all the stars, much more than on ground. It's very hard to recognize uh, the, the, the stellar signs because there are so many, signs, there are so many stars. So at night, it's beautiful also to look down. We have, of course, a lot of lightning. Every night passage, there was a thunderstorm somewhere. And very impressive, aurora. Northern light, southern light, radioactive particles from the sun, exciting the air, which is glowing, it's very nice. We fly over it. It's also a bit scary because it's radiation. You get a lot more radiation because we are above the atmosphere. And then also at night, light phenomena that indicate negative effects. All these lights, purple lights, green lights, fishing ships, fishing boats. Enormous amounts, this is in the South Chinese Sea, but you see it also in different places in Argentina, etc. Huge amounts of fishing ships. And then you understand why the fish are, fish are getting uh, smaller. They're trying to find new species further and further away from the coast. And like with the forest, we are we're not giving the planet time to recover. And you can see this. This is visualization of these problems. And then let's go to Europe. Here we fly towards Spain, the light spot. Uh, there in the, in the bottom, it's uh, Lisbon. You see Madrid in the middle. On top, you see, the, you see Paris coming up over there. The left, the bright spot. And here we have the boot of Italy. Let's go to the United States. You see Baja California, San Diego, Los Angeles on the right, Phoenix. And here we fly over the Middle East. You see the Nile, nobody wants to live in the desert. Everybody lives on the Nile here. Very interesting to see, Sinai, Israel, Jordan. And here we have Europe, Ireland, Great Britain, and here France. And let's look at this. The orange you see here is not the Netherlands. That's Belgium. If you see orange from space, it's Belgium, not the Netherlands. Netherlands on top, let's zoom in here on Amsterdam. Rotterdam on the bottom, Amsterdam in the middle. And this is where we are now. It's fantastic out there. Great to see the planet, beautiful, alarming. Technology is great, science is great, but you have to go back. You have to leave the station. And that means that you have to break in the air. You have a rocket that gave you all the speed of eight kilometers per second. You need to break in the air to get rid of that speed. It becomes 2,000 degrees, it becomes pink and orange. You see flames, you see sparks. You push to your chair with five times your body weight, sometimes eight times. So like a fireball, you shoot through the atmosphere. Very exciting moment. The heat sheet has to hold. And then the next exciting moment, the parachute has to open. Went wrong in the past. So this is an exciting moment as well. And then you brace. And finally, 
you land on the planet. which is quite a hit. <laughs> but OK, you're safe. Everybody happy? And then something else starts. You get your briefings, debriefings. You get press conferences. And you start to talk about what you did. First flight, second flight, the experiments that you did. You explain to people how exciting it was, how beautiful it was, an exotic adventure. I started to talk to a lot of schools also, to everybody, but also a lot of schools to talk about the planet, the beauty of the planet, the fragility. And I thought, how, how do you express that? How do you tell the people about this so-called overview effect that astronauts have that you see the whole planet, that you realize how vulnerable, how fragile it is? I went to a lot of schools, a lot of people and still do that. But it's hard to, to reach everybody. Not only in the Netherlands, there's already only, only in the Netherlands, small country, 8,000 uh, primary school. So this is already a, a bit difficult for one person. So we want to do something about that and see how we can spread it. And then some people came up with a great idea.
Thank you. So we want to bring this overview effect to children all over the world to make them ambassadors of our planet. It's not something like uh, a roller coaster in an amusement park. It's really with an educational program before and after. So you prepare the kids. They have to do all kinds of things that astronauts have to do. They have to do an exam, then you have to fly it, virtual reality, going over the Earth. And then if a post-flight experience. Uh, and how do we do it? How do, how, we, how do we make that? We created something. Something to make it really exciting for the children. And let's see how this is done. It began as an out-of-this-world idea to inspire a new generation. A bold dream that has gone from concept to reality. Both virtual, recreating the Earth and all its beauty in breathtaking detail, and physical, to create young ambassadors that will see the Earth in a new light through the wonder of the overview effect. And truly, the journey is only just beginning. Ten. Nine. Ignition sequence start. Thanks. So you saw it already. A beautiful rocket, great interior. We have this uh, pre-fried programs, all the things that astronauts are doing, we let the, the, the pupils do as well. They have to do an exam, they have to do all the testing. What is it to have this fluid shift in your head, uh, to build a rocket, all these different things, all these aspects of becoming astronauts. That's how we start. Then they go to the rocket. The rocket only goes to school if they did the tests, if they did the exams. And the interior, spacey, exciting. Um, I, this, they made an avatar of me, so I can talk to the children. I cannot go to all the schools, and this is how we do it to reach much more. Beautiful cockpit, exciting experience. And then they go, they fly over the Earth in virtual reality. Fantastically done. I love to do it myself, because that gives me the feeling that I'm back. Very nice to do. You come back again, of course, after this flight and see the beauty of the Earth. Flames along the window make it all the aspects of the flight we, uh, we, we, we mimic. And then post-flight, we have the outreach. They have a press conference. They have to share it with the people uh, like I did myself, like the astronauts. So it's also education. 
It's not only, it's not only excitement, it's also the education. They have all kinds of uh, programs afterwards about the deforestation uh, and the problems on the, on the planet itself. We do it together with the University of Tilburg. They look at the scientific part. How do you teach children this way? How do you use virtual reality to make this, uh, well, to make this something that they keep on remembering, that it creates a mind shift? And of course, I am doing this part as the astronaut. But it has to be built. It has to be funded. Therefore, it's a great pleasure to give the floor now to the chairman of the board of the space bus. Somebody with his financial background and expertise in startups made, played a major role in the development of this beautiful event. Soren van Gessel. Thank you. Please, please stay, Andrew. Okay, I'll stay here. It's such a pleasure and a delight to work with you, and you're such a fantastic human being. Uh, Andre and I met in 2013 because uh, Andre uh, was an ambassador for the World Wildlife Fund, where I was responsible for fundraising for high net worth individuals, families, uh, and entrepreneurs like all of you. Uh, Andre and I discussed many times how we could have more impact uh, because in this world where about a million species are about to get extinct in a total number of 8 million, something had to be done quickly. And Andre is working day and night uh, at enormous speed, but obviously, uh, couldn't be everywhere at all points in time uh, trying to educate children, trying to talk to people like you, and trying to make the change. So at one point in time, we met, and we sat down, and we said, okay, how can we make the change? And a friend of ours came up with the idea, which is indeed the overview effect. Uh, we talked a lot about having the first space bus ready, uh, and indeed, we were able to launch the first space bus last year, which was at the 50th anniversary of the first uh, picture taken of the Earth, Earthrise. André, I'm extremely happy to announce today that this is the formal announcement of our global rollout of the space bus. What we're trying to achieve together is to make sure that we'll have space buses running around the world, educating children, showing what we actually think will work uh, is what you experienced as an astronaut first-handed, that if you have a different perspective on Earth, then your life will change from that moment onwards. Uh, I think we're rather fortunate because uh, later this year, in Houston, there will be the get-together of uh, all living astronauts because it's 50 years of the moon landing uh, that took place uh, in 1969, actually, my birthday. Um, and we're going to take um, the space bus to Houston to show it to all astronauts to make sure that we get support from all the countries around the globe where astronauts like Andre can pick up the concept, work with us, and roll it out globally. What we agreed to do is to make sure that it's a, it's a global, scalable, uh, for free project where everybody can join in, where everybody can, uh, can locally adapt uh, and can actually get their own virtual astronaut. In our case, it's Andre, but it could be an Italian, it could be a Korean, it could be a Japanese or uh, a Brazilian astronaut uh, doing what we have done locally to make sure that it's, it's locally adapted and that we can really make a global change. Uh, as a chairman of the foundation, I always get the question, okay, uh, what can we do? Well, there are three things. If you actually want to have your own rocket, you can have it. Um, 
we uh, initially uh, worked with family and friends. We raised 1.8 million in the last year and a half to launch the first rocket. The second rocket is going to be uh, tremendously cheaper. It's 345,000 euros uh, to get it at any country in the world. So if anybody wants to have a rocket with their name on it, uh, their wife's name, their husband's name on it, or their children's name on it, please let us know. We're here. Um, we also have the package to support the education program for a year, also anywhere around the globe, as long as the space bus is available. Um, you can support this with 165,000 uh, euros, and it allows us to run this space bus for free in any country for a year. And please be aware, uh, last year it was a fantastic event. Uh, in Bordeaux, in Europe, there's an astronaut training. Uh, you can uh, go on a Boeing and experience what it is to be weightless yourself in a zero-g uh, zero flight. Every sponsor north of 50,000 euros will join us with An uh, Andre being the guide and the tour uh, to actually experience this, what, it be, uh, what it is to be an astronaut yourself. I think we're extremely proud and extremely happy to be supported by, uh, by a large group of, uh, of people, uh, including Media Monks, uh, who uh, also created the, the virtual uh, reality 3D experience. Uh, the main monk, uh, Victor Knapp, was on stage uh, earlier today. We're supported by global companies like Deloitte, and I think we're also extremely happy that we're supported by, uh, by WEF itself and also by National Geographic to really make the change globally. Finally, this is your opportunity to own a rocket. Uh, I think we all know that it's, it's way too expensive to send people into, uh, into orbit, at least millions of them, anytime soon. I think this is the thing that, uh, that's best in class available right now, and we definitely hope to, uh, to make that change. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. Ladies and gentlemen, Colin van Hessel and Andre Kalpers. Thank you. Thank